Hello, Rocketship listeners. So we are one week away from releasing our new season all about Web3. We're going to take you behind the scenes of some of the most exciting Web3 projects. We're going to take you to Los Angeles to the Cameo NFT drop party. And we're even going to bid on a Mickey Mantle NFT all in the next season. But first, this week, we wanted to bring you our product journey of Drip, Rob Walling's project, um, which is one of our favorite from that season. So if you haven't heard this one yet, stick around. It's a great story. And if you're excited about the Web3 series, we'll see you next week. So today, I actually wanted to talk about another David versus Goliath story. Okay. And what is this one? Maybe like uh, DuckDuckGo versus Google or something else maybe? Almost. That's a good one, right? We should probably reach out to Gabriel Weinberg after this. But um, no, this one is going to take us back to the the roots of this very podcast, in fact, which listeners today, I don't know, they might not know about. All right. Well, yes. Tell me. Tell me more, Michael. <laughs> Okay, so we actually started this podcast like over half a decade ago, right? And it was born out of the bootstrap community. And a lot of the early founders that we invited on either funded themselves through like revenue. Which is a crazy concept, right? Funding yourself through <laughs> revenue. Don't you have to go and raise millions of dollars? <laughs> totally, right? <laughs> or, you know, they had pursued some kind of alternative financing that was like debt-based or they had investors who were interested in the prospect of long-term dividends. So these weren't necessarily companies only only preparing for a moonshot or bust outcome as you know, is the typical Silicon Valley story. Yeah, no, and I remember this, um, even though I wasn't a co-host at the time, you know, I was a listener. I was remembering guests like Heaton Shah, who had successfully taken both routes with Crazy Egg and then Kiss Metrics, or Colin Netterkorn of Customer.io, who raised several small seed rounds from 2012 to 2017, but avoided pursuing that true venture path for the business. Yeah, and absolutely. And I'm talking about another one of our early guests here, Rob Walling, who founded the beloved email platform Drip, who as a bootstrap company took on marketing giants like MailChimp and Campaign Monitor in this incredibly competitive space. Oh, fascinating. And then who were they acquired by? Not yet, uh, not yet, okay. right? Okay. We'll, we'll get there. <laughs> and we'll, we'll talk about what Rob is up to today, all on today's product journey of Drip. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. As artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. With over 750 specialized hackers in their community, HackerOne isn't just theorizing. They're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large organization, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI-Safety-Security. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI-Safety-Security. 
This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is supported by Trustonomy, an original podcast from OneTrust. Every good relationship you have, personal or business, it involves trust. But we all know that trust doesn't just happen, right? We've all lost trust in a friend or a brand or a product. Trustonomy is a new podcast that looks at true stories from the past to understand how trust works and what makes it stronger and how to rebuild it when it's broken. Now, you know, I'm a sucker for a good podcast that weaves historical stories and relates it to what's happening today. So I thoroughly enjoyed this Trustonomy episode and recommend that you check that out as well. Search for Trustonomy in your podcast player. We'll also include a link in the show notes. Many thanks to the OneTrust team for their support. So Rob Walling grew up around Silicon Valley. His dad worked at Cupertino Electric. So software was always something that came really naturally to him. But he also had this fiercely independent streak. So as he grew older and moved away from Silicon Valley, he focused his efforts on building his own products and figuring out how to market and monetize them himself. The Silicon Valley stuff always just seems so outrageous to me. It seemed outlandish to raise these massive amounts of money. It just didn't, I'm pretty pragmatic and like raising all the money and taking this huge moonshot, it didn't line up with who I was, you know? And so I was a software developer from way back. I kind of learned as a kid, self-taught. And then I was writing code, basically dollars, dollars for hours, you know, uh, just writing code in the Bay Area and Sacramento area. And I realized that I didn't want to do that forever. It was fun, but it's like, how do you build an asset? You know, how do you build something you own equity in? And so I dabbled in real estate investing, I dabbled in stock investing, you know, I did all the things of like, how can I not work a day job? And eventually realized when you're a software developer, one of your advantages that other people don't have is that you can write code, you know? And so coupling that with marketing was really the kind of the big realization for me in the late, the late aughts. His first success was with .NET Invoice, which was, as you might guess, invoicing software. But when he looked around, he found a large community focused around these venture-backed companies, but there wasn't really anything that focused on the types of bootstrap businesses that he was into. And being a solo owner-operator, he wanted to find other like-minded people that he could learn and grow from. So Rob and another bootstrap business enthusiast, Mike Tabor, started a podcast called Startups for the Rest of Us. Which, in the title alone, aptly describes their positioning in the world. <laughs> totally. And out of that, they started to grow a community of like-minded entrepreneurs. I was running small software products and I was in the process of acquiring really my, like my second or third really small SaaS app. And there wasn't much of a community 
outside of the Silicon Valley for people doing startups. And so, you know, we had this podcast called Startups for the Rest of Us, and I had a blog. And there was a community of, you know, thousands of people in that. I don't know if it's five or 10,000 kind of readers who are interested in this alternative form of, of starting startups. But there was no place to gather, you know. And that really became uh, microconf. We want my co-host, Mike Tabor, and I wanted to just get a place where 100 or 200 of us could get in a room and see what it was like to meet each other in person rather than have all the connections be online. So out of this, microconf is born, the first bootstrap-focused software startup conference of its kind. And at the first event, Rob Walling opened the event with special musical guests, Beyonce and Jay-Z. <laughs> I don't think that's exactly how it went, Michael. <laughs> no, no. So we thought that we were going to sell 225 tickets to this event. <laughs> the first one, 500 bucks a piece or something, 400 bucks. And we sold about 70 and we had to discount some of those pretty heavily. And we wound up giving some away and just trying to fill a room at this point, you know. So we had about, including speakers, we had about 105 attendees. And there was, a, there was something magical about it though, right? Because it was, it was small and scrappy, super bootstrapped. We almost lost a huge chunk of money and then had a last minute sponsor come through to kind of save, save us. And really the, the tickets came, the sell, sales came from talking about it on Startups for the Rest of Us and then totally writing about it on the blog. And we had a small email list. And we also at the time had a small online community, uh, uh, forums basically, you know, that was getting people together. And so it was just all the avenues. We just had uh, a small community of, of boot, really bootstrappers, self-funded, you know, self-funded startup founders. So I remember going to MicroConf in the early days. Either it was like the second or third year he put it on. And there really was something magical. It was the most tactic-heavy conference I've ever been to, which was a nice change of pace from like the South by Southwest, which tended to be very inspirational. What we realized, like, we wanted to start an event that we wanted to attend because we had been, I've been to the big Microsoft programming events and I've been to the big, I haven't been to an Apple keynote, but those kinds of things or even events for startups, but it always felt like this big rah-rah show where there was no practical stuff. There was no tactics coming out of it. I wanted to hear founder stories with the tactics that they use to hopefully help borrow those. I mean, this was pre pretty sure this was before Mixergy. This was before all these interview shows. This was when just the knowledge that we can get today on, on Udemy and Teachable and other things, it wasn't there. And so we wanted to create an environment where it's like, these are real stories and real tactics that are not being talked about online. So it was, there were a lot more, um, it was a lot of boots on the ground, like it was startup founders and then like subject matter experts, you know, consultants who were doing copywriting or doing split testing. And that was it. To be honest, it was a little too tactic heavy. People were like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. But we realized we can't do this forever because it's just too dry. And so we did start to mix it up and get more deeper inspiration and aspiration as the years have gone on. So in year two, they sold out their tickets in two weeks. In year three, it was 24 hours. And in year four, it was six minutes. And in that year, the email hadn't even been delivered to their full list before the tickets were gone. And that email system was? That's right. By that time, it was Drip, the email platform that Ram had built to solve some of the problems he was running into managing several online businesses that he'd acquired. That story, after a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. 
So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. So before the break, we were about to learn more about the origin story of Drip since it was born directly out of a pain point that Rob had while managing several online businesses. It was born directly out of my pains of like not having a good way to collect email addresses all, you know, everywhere uh, on your website instantly. I, I, I had acquired this website with like two or 300 HTML pages. It was flat HTML. And it's like, I don't want to go in and, and hard embed an embed form, you know, and there were no job. There was no sumo. There was no opt-in monster that, you know, these things didn't exist yet. And so so we built an opt-in form from scratch and then we tied autoresponders to it. And we, we were kind of like a micro email service provider. You know, we weren't quite MailChimp yet, but that really solved the problem that took a, a developer about a week to, to solve for me on another app. But then I went, you know, to your point about the community, then I, before we built it, I did go and ask 15, 16 founders that I knew in the community and said, would, would you pay for this? Like, is this enough value, you know, that you'd be willing to? So that was how I validated it. But I was really, I really was kind of building it for my own uh, app at the time. And I thought it would be a nice little lifestyle business. And it grew quite a bit beyond that once we became an ESP. An ESP being an email service provider or an extra sensory perception. <laughs> Acronyms are the worst, aren't they? <laughs> Okay, so Rob is now competing with the likes of Salesforce, MailChimp, Oracle, Marketo, and Campaign Monitor. Yeah, these are competitors, but with some very deep pockets. Yeah, but his secret sauce was his ability to drop really just some JavaScript into a site that would then allow a user to trigger a modal and capture an email. So this was specifically for marketers, and this was a, a very bootstrap-heavy tactic that he was kind of leaning into, and there was no one else that made it this easy to do. Right. At the time, MailChimp didn't make it quite this easy, and they're more focused on sort of bulk broadcast emails, uh, not as easy to do with marketing drip sequences at the time. So he'd built several successful products. He had a successful podcast and a conference, and he had the perfect audience to market to. What surprised me was I'd had several successful apps before this. Some were SaaS, some were single downloadable pieces of software, pre, you know, kind of pre the SaaS world. So I knew marketing and I had budget because I had money being thrown off from these other apps. I had experience. I had an audience. Like I had built that tool belt. I had stair-stepped my way to where I was pretty confident and we're going to hit the ground running. We're going to build this thing and we're going to crush it. And he built an email list of 3,500 people and quickly built up seven to $8,000 in monthly recurring revenue. He figured it was just up and to the right after that. And then we just stagnated for six or seven months. And we never, we were just, it was just eight, nine, eight, nine, eight, nine. And I was dumping all this money and all this time and all this marketing and all these leads in, but we didn't have product market fit. We hadn't built something that people wanted yet. And so that was a big realization of like, uh-oh, the product isn't there yet. The marketing chops were there, right? I could get people to try it out. We had thousands of people come in and try it out. But then they were like, yeah, this just isn't worth the 50 bucks a month you're charging. So here's the dilemma. He can't cross that 10K MRR monthly recurring revenue mark. And it's costing him a lot of money in marketing to keep filling up that top of the funnel. Yeah, he's got a leaky bucket, as they say. And he's got to fix that product market fit problem. It was a long process. It took about... From the time we really started looking until 
I felt like product market fit happened was about eight months. And that's just an eternity. You know, it's an eternity when you're just floundering and, and pouring time and money into it. The thing we realized is we started getting feedback from customers who said, you know, you've kind of built an add-on. Like the, you, we didn't even have broadcast emails. Like we had autoresponders and a widget. And they're like, yeah, I can hack this together. And I don't want two email tools. But if you added broadcast and you added this other thing, like you, you're really easy to use, great UX, great tool can you just become an ESP was kind of what people were saying to us. And that's it. And I was really resistant to it because it's like, I don't, I don't want to get in that space. It is blood red water. Who wants to compete with MailChimp and Aweber and all these. But as we started building those features, people started sticking around a little bit more. And really the kicker, the one that tipped it over for us was building automations, was kind of dipping our toes into the, the marketing automation where you have tags and you have a link you can click to add a tag and, and you know, filter and that. And, MailChimp, AWeber, none of the ESPs had that. The only tools that could do that were these more expensive alternatives, you know, the Infusionsofts and the Marketo and Pardots. They were really expensive. And, you know, again, the landscape today has changed because MailChimp has added automations, AWeber. They, they all have added them since then. But we hit that. We just hit a gap where the ESPs didn't have it. Everybody else was expensive and we became this less expensive kind of lightweight marketing automation tool. And as we rolled that out, man, I tell you the graphs, like, trials were literally going down because we were not marketing. Uh, retention and trial to paid conversion was going up. And all of a sudden, we just started growing two, $3,000 a month with no, really no effort into the funnel. And I was, I, at one point, I turned to my co-founder, Derek, and I said, these graphs, like we were looking at them, I said, this is what product market fit looks like. It's so obvious here that people are coming, they're trying it, and they're sticking around. So they found their niche inside of the email service provider landscape with just three people on the team. And then they started to grow the team. We hit product market fit, I believe, with just three of us. It was me and two developers. And then, the, yeah, the next hire was a customer success sales person who, um, who was pretty game-changing for us as well. Just it allowed me to step back from all the calls and, and doing the selling. Now, Rob was on track to hit $1 million in annual recurring revenue very quickly. And he still had this small, scrappy team to support it. But he realized it was time to get serious because he had a big opportunity on his hands. So he started to sell off a lot of the smaller products he built to create more room to focus on growing Drip. I actually still had some small apps that were throwing off cash. I sold a couple of them. I gave one to a business partner. Um, that was really it. I mean, I kind of just sunset all of them because they were, you know, you're talking apps that are making some apps were throwing off 50K a year in profit with almost no work. That's great. But I didn't, I just didn't want to mind it anymore. You know, and, and Hittail was bigger than that. It was doing a few hundred grand a year, but it, it was more, you know, a little more effort. So kind of passed those off. And then MicroConf really at that time, we had found um, producer Xander who really handles the bulk of the effort. And we were, you know, had hired him to head that up. I was still involved, but it nice part about conferences is it's like you find speakers and then you show up for four days and you're exhausted, but that's it. It wasn't, it wasn't like weekly work all the time. So I was able to, it was chaotic, but I was able to focus on, you know, almost exclusively on Drip. What happens to Drip as it continues to grow rapidly? Coming up after a quick word from our sponsors. So 
Rob has found himself with a fast-growing app in Drip, and now he's competing in the very competitive world of email with companies that have teams much larger, marketing budgets much more expansive than he's really able to work with. And as a bootstrapped founder, he's used to taking cash out of the profit of his business to either live on or acquire new businesses. But in this space, every dollar they took out of the business hampered their growth. So he's sitting on a multi-million dollar illiquid asset. We were kind of running at break even for a lot of time and fast growing apps do that, right? I mean, that's just the nature of them. You, you can you can pull cash off the table, but you will hamper your growth. And that's just the trade-off you need to make. Now, when you're a bootstrapper, you can totally do that. When you're you know, venture funded, obviously you wouldn't. Um, but that was a decision we were looking at. It's like, we're not gonna be able to pull any cash off this thing. This thing is worth literally millions of dollars. And I feel a little um, under, under diversified, I think was the word. You know what I mean? It's like, I have a couple hundred thousand dollars in an IRA and then I have millions of dollars in this, in this SaaS app that's not liquid, you know? So we did, we did evaluate. There was a lot of stress. We just didn't have as much money as I wanted to, to throw around. And we did talk about raising an angel round. And that became the decision point of like, do we raise, you know, 250 to 500K is an angel round. We have good traction. We would have gotten a good valuation. That means we're in it for two, three, four more years, you know, because you got to valuation has to catch up or, you know, do we want to sell? Now, as we were thinking about this, we got about five different potential acquirers contacted us over the course of 18 months. And so that last 18 months and some were really serious and others were not. And I always entertain the conversations because, uh, you know, why, why not? Right. There's, there's a price for everything. Um, and eventually one of those did pan out and just looked like the, the best option for us. And that outcome was an acquisition by lead pages a company called lead pages started by yeah, Clay Collins, who's a, an, you know, an internet marketer. And the interesting thing there is they acquired us first from the first email until the close was 13 months. And the real hard conversations, discussions, negotiations, due diligence took about the last six months of that. And that was very stressful, probably one of the most stressful times in, in my entire life, actually. And lead pages acquired us, their landing pages, right, which ties in really well with, with email ESP. But then Drip essentially became the company. They, had, they have since sold off lead pages as a product. And they focused on drip. You know, the landing page, landing page space became commodi- a bit commoditized and lead pages, you know, product struggled to keep up for a while. They're actually doing a lot better now, but they kind of started falling behind and then drip. Landing pages also are, isn't a huge market. I mean, it's, it's a hundred million or more, but like drip is marketing automation. That's a billions, you know, billions and billions of dollars, especially in the e-commerce space where they've pivoted into. So it's been a real trip to watch it. That drip is now, you know, however many people it is, hundred, 120 people. And it's still, it's still the product, you know, it's still the product that we built. An incredible outcome for Rob and the team. And I hear he still uses it every day. Absolutely. He does. And after he left lead pages, he started out to solve a new problem, providing capital to revenue focused companies to help them get off the ground. The mission really stems from those early days of the podcast and the conference and all the things I've been doing, which was how can we help these alternative companies? It's like companies that don't want to become a unicorn all this money in Silicon Valley is being compressed into fewer and fewer and fewer deals. And it's like, if you can't be a billion or a $10 billion company they're talking about now, the Decacorn, maybe you shouldn't invest in them. And it's like, wait a minute, there are like thousands. I mean, you, you know, you've been to MicroConf, you know, I know hundreds of people off the top of my head who are going to build 10, 20, $30 million SaaS companies that are going to be life-changing for them. They're extremely profitable. And frankly, if you invest in them, you can make money too. So that, that really became it is looking around the community that we had built 
uh, as well as ancillary communities um, like indie hackers and such, and realizing there's no funding model for us. What about the funding model for the rest of us? You know, that we still write a check for equity. We're an accelerator. You know, we're fully remote. We provide the mentorship and the guidance and all that. But um, it's not go big or go home. People can't, we can fund LLCs and, and C Corps. They can take dividends out if they want. You know, they, they can sell or they can just run it for the long term and be profitable. It's like we wanted that other option to, to just build a real, like a real business selling real product to real customers, you know, like, like we're talking about. Tiny Seed is the first SaaS accelerator designed for bootstrappers. And I love Rob's passion here for the space. I mean, he's, again, solving such a need for these companies. You wrote the book on raising money outside of Silicon Valley. It's, it's not that easy. No, it's not easy at all. And, and that's why this is so exciting. So who are some of the companies to come out of Tiny Seed so far? Well, so one of them is called Squadcast, and they applied to be part of Batch 2. And the product is amazing. They're growing fat. You know, it's, it's all the things that you want, and it's two dedicated founders who are just shipping and executing and, and doing all the right things. So, um, yeah, their growth has been, they were already on a great trajectory, and then, you know, COVID and quarantine with so many more people recording podcasts has actually accelerated that. Squadcast is an amazing product that we actually use every week to record Rocket Ship. And what is he looking for in these companies? We have a whole list that I, I put together and a and I you know, collaborated on. And, and we have a few people that help us make the decisions. And there's like 40 different factors that we look at. But really, when like my shorthand for it is people, product market fit, and price sensitivity, right? So the people is the team. It's the founders. Like when we talk to them, do they love this problem? Are they, are they in it? Are they, you know, not doing it for the money, so to speak? And, and are they driven in getting things done? Are they getting results? The product market fit, of course, have they built something people want or are they almost there? Because, I mean, if you're pre-product market fit, it might take you two months to get there. It might take you two years. And so it's really, there's a lot more risk there if you haven't already started, started hitting that. And it ha that tends to happen in the two to 10,000 MRR range, depending on the space. But, you know, um, that's often where people are like, okay, now, I'm, now I have that. And then price sensitivity really is just are you selling to consumers where 10 bucks a month is your top end, you know, and you're always going to have high churn and struggle to get, you know, you're going to need thousands, thousands of customers. Or is there, you know, enterprise plans where, hey, I can charge 2,500 for these, even if you do have the, the lower end, like Squadcast is a good example, right? I mean, I think entry level is like nine bucks a month, but they also have big studios, you know, podcast production studios where they're quoting thousands, you know, tens of thousands a year for those. And that, there's a lot of power in that. That's, that's the way to, that's one way to grow pretty quickly. And Rob's raising a new fund right now. So if you're interested in getting involved, head to tinyseed.com and get in touch with Rob. It's an incredible opportunity to invest in a space that is currently underfunded. And as we heard from Brian Brackeen a couple of weeks ago, this is how you win a market, by getting in early and investing where others aren't looking. And if you're a company looking for early stage funding and support, Tiny Seed is collecting applications for their next batch coming up. So head over to tinyseed.com and apply today. So, Mike, what do we have coming up next week? Next week, we're going to hear a little bit about another, you know, tiny sort of fledgling product that was launched. Um, is launched by this uh, team that, you know, very small and scrappy called Amazon. And that product is Amazon Echo. And, okay, I'm making all that up, except for the fact that the next product journey is going to be all about Amazon Echo and Alexa. Not a small, scrappy team, but it is a fun story to tell. Yeah, that's it's going to be a good one. And I'm sure a lot of great lessons uh, involved in there from a very, very smart team. Indeed. 
Thanks so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM now has a premium ad-free feed. All you have to do is go to glow.fm forward slash Rocketship and subscribe. It helps support the show and it gives you an ad-free experience. You actually get an exclusive feed that you can listen to on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, and Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective, which is a community for software product people. Product Collective is also the home of industry, the product conference, industry virtual workshops, and one of the largest Slack groups for product people anywhere. And we're also on the Podglomerate Network, so a huge thanks to Podglomerate. You can listen to all the Podglomerate shows at thepodglomerate.com. We'll see you here next week on rocketship.fm. 